0: Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Hello to our deployers. I know some of you are excited because you're uh, on your way home. Coming up, part two of my conversation with the wing commander, Colonel Tom Jackson. It's going to be three parts this interview I, c- I can't believe uh, how much good stuff uh, we talked about and uh, I get to share with you guys I would have had some video of uh, our conversation at least for part two and part three but uh, let's face it my organizational skills are uh, they're lacking there is a boom selection board for current military members and civilians boom operator that's an in-flight refueling specialist. Selection board is for Drill Status Guardsmen. The board is tentatively scheduled for February 20th at 09. Applications are due by close of business February 17th. Applications need to have a cover letter, a resume, plus it has to include three references The uh, three letters of recommendation may come from your references. A minimum armed services vocational aptitude battery, our favorite, ASVAB, is uh, 55. In general category, you can see the recruiting Facebook page for information on the board and what else you need, or call the recruiting office, 618-222-5701. Hopefully, we can have... uh, chief master sergeant latimer on to talk more about the uh boom uh, uh, boom operator board next week but not sure because we might have a vip from uh the state on roll call
1: hi my name's senior gregory Goder. i'm uh part of the 126 comptroller flight and uh, i'm a financial manager here my day-to-day job um I'm an accounting technician basically, so I'm in charge of all the squadron's uh, purchases and I make sure they uh, hit the books correctly. What I like most about being in the 126 is I'm an AGR out here, so I work out here full-time. With that I get a bunch of opportunities. Um, Traveling is probably my favorite opportunity. Um, I've been to a bunch of cool places like um, Washington State, which was the first time I've ever been there. Um, I also play on the base softball team. So I get to travel with them quite a bit as well. I joined the Air National Guard because after college, I had a couple jobs I didn't really like, and I wanted to have an impactful career and make a difference on my community. I chose the 126 because I could pretty much stay around all my friends and family and still be part of the Air National Guard. I joined the Comptroller Flight because my bachelor's in business management And it kind of just fell hand in hand with uh, working with finances. One huge benefit I've been taking advantage of is uh, my full time employment as an AGR. Um, As an AGR I get active duty pay, benefits, and everything that goes along with being active duty, but I get to stay home.
2: Hi, we are the 126 Recruiting Team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wilde, Recruiting Flight Chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, Production Recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701.
1: But, but wait, there's, there's more.
2: more! Give us a call in the next five minutes and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition.
0: Joining us back on the roll call for part two of the big interview is the big man himself, the 126 Air Refueling Wing Commander, Colonel Tom Jackson. Sir, thanks for uh, coming back. We covered a lot of things last time.
2: Yeah, it was good talk. We had a good time.
0: Yeah, it was a great time. We have a lot more to talk about, it seems like. I'm trying to fix my mic as we talk. That's probably not a good idea when we're on the air. Uh, I wanted to talk about your – I just kind of skipped over it just because we had so many things to talk about, and when you're taking notes and all that, I wanted to – and I asked uh, Chief uh, Henry this, and I wanted to ask you this as well. What is your leadership philosophy?
2: (sighs) Leadership philosophy. So um, one of the big things we do here is not just running the wing but creating the next round of leadership, right? Who's who's coming next? And uh, so I guess my philosophy is – as a leader um, creating new leaders is a, a bigger indicator of of how you are as a leader than what you do as that leader so um, always help people grow growing the next round of leadership behind me and that, that's kind of setting the next uh, you know five ten fifteen years of leaders uh, is building them now uh, and, and always growing always learning uh, there's always something to learn good and bad from people so always learn
0: what are yeah who are some uh, people that uh mentored you uh, throughout the years that you learned a lot from?
2: Uh, obviously, being in the wing for 30, almost 32 years now, a, a lot of folks that I've dealt with throughout the years uh, have been my mentors. And I could easily point to the ver- the first two, um, were my first two supervisors uh, on Aircraft 0067, uh, Sergeant Jimmy Nichols um, and uh, Sergeant uh, Jimmy Grisinha. So they were my crew chiefs. Um, they were the, the lead full-timers for my airplane uh, as a crew chief when I started out. And they're the ones that really kind of set the tone for, you know, when you come into work and you have things to do on that weekend, do them. These are your things to do. This is your responsibility. Uh, Here are the people that will help you get that done, including us. And, uh, you know, here are the other folks outside of, you know, uh, the flight line folks. So if you got to go get stuff done in some of the back shops or whatever, here's some of the folks you can go to. And they they're the ones, my, kind of the first people, you know, the first people you meet in an organization are the ones who really kind of give you that first impression of how the organization is overall, and uh, that's where I learned from. Uh, going from there, I had uh, um, a couple other crew chiefs that were more senior to me and been around for a while. Uh, there's a, a, currently, he's currently a senior master sergeant, Tom Hollerick. He's uh, in the Air Force Reserves now, but uh, he was a big a big guy for me. Um, I had a uh, uh, just a bunch of other folks early on that were uh, big, big helps in my career to get me moving. And then uh, <clears throat> for the, uh, as I got a little older, got in the unit for a while, um, uh, General uh, Keesler, who was my, um, technically my second wing commander, I think I had a wing commander for about a year when I was still going through basic training, tech school and stuff, so I didn't really know who they were. But when General Keesler started a couple of years in, uh, he did what most wing commanders do nowadays is they have briefings or meetings with their, their, their airmen who've been around for three or four years and are getting within that two-year point of separation and, hey, hey what do you guys want to do? What's your future career like? What do you, you know, what do you like? What you don't like? And those kind of things. And it was that meeting where I said, well, sir, I want to be a pilot. How do I do that? And he goes, oh, well, we got a pilot board coming up. And uh, so that's how I learned about the pilot position. But um, throughout, throughout the career, you know, I had another 14 years, you know, 12 years with that particular wing commander. And uh, he was a huge... Uh, influencer in my life throughout, just not, not even not because I worked for him directly, but I saw what he did with airmen and and when I was doing an exercise, for example, a nuclear exercise on the flight line, and I was running around doing things, he was driving around talking to the security forces folks on the ramp. Um, he was meeting people at you know the gate. He was doing things that were well outside what I thought a commander would do, and uh, I thought, well, that's that it can really kind of taught me about the people side of things. Um, and then throughout, the, throughout my career, you know, you meet people not only that really help shape your, you know, kind of opinions and shape your methods and shape your, uh, your, your thoughts throughout your career in a good way, but there were a few that made me go, okay, don't do that. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Um, that's probably not the best way to handle things. But uh, uh, So I've had a lot of that and kind of learned, from every, learned something from everyone you meet. That's, that's kind of the way I look at it.
0: How important do you see uh, mentorship that you received coming up? Uh, in the wing for young airmen and uh, young officers.
2: So this this is something that uh, I'm really going to hit hard with folks coming up. Uh, my my first year has been non-standard, I guess you'd say, sure. as a commander. Mm-hmm. So I got to kind of hit my this next year as my first year, uh, which is something I would have probably done last April May, is uh, uh, really letting every single airman know from the from the day they swear in. To the day they decide whether or not they're going to sign up for another term is to know that the door is always open to them. There is a path to whatever success they want to be in, uh, but it's their path to go. Um, In other words, uh, I had lots of folks throughout my career basically tell me, hey, have you ever thought about this? Uh, Have you thought about going to this school or doing that? Or, hey, do you have your PME done? And I never looked at that as them questioning my abilities or challenging me to, to be better in such a way as to prove myself. It was always, hey, you know, if you get your PME done, there might be an opportunity for you later. We didn't know if there would be one, but God forbid that opportunity came. I wasn't ready. So being prepared to walk through a door that becomes open to you is every person's responsibility. It's every manager's responsibility to let the airmen know let the people know what doors are available and when they're available and to be prepared for them when they come through Mm -hmm. Uh, so for me that was you know to to for for the younger airmen is to always be prepared Um, when you have the appropriate level pme or professional education for your particular rank or or point in your career have it done or get ready to do it and, and schedule it in your life and get it done um, if it's if it's a bachelor's degree or a, uh, an associate degree from CCAF, then get that done. It's much easier to do earlier in life than it is later in life. So be prepared. Get that stuff
0: done. Talking about people that are uh, getting out, what would you say to somebody right now who's thinking about um, who's thinking about getting out?
2: What would I say? I mean, oh, it depends because uh, some it depends on the, where they are in their career. But I always tell people. Uh, um, uh, it, are you sold on getting out? In other words, are you truly done with the military or are you just done for now? Because um, there are a lot of folks who decide to separate at certain points of their career and <laughs> yeah. by and large, I'll tell them every single one of them. Uh, well, you know what? I, I really, really want you to stay because more often than not, the, the folks get into this certain point in their life when a part-time military job, uh, especially given the, the requirements that we have nowadays, just doesn't fit in their overall life, and, uh, but, but, but that might be only temporary. In other words, uh, four, five, six years down the road, their lifestyle or their, their situation in life will be, will be slightly different where maybe the part-time military job will be good again. So I always leave that door open for those folks who are said, nope, I really want to get out. I'm done. I've done my first six years. I got my degree. I want to go build my career, wherever that may be. Okay, great, but if the time comes later, come on back. Or if you don't want to come back to our unit and you live somewhere else in the country, think about joining back up because you're the kind of person that you know we, we want to have. And uh, for those folks who are on the fence, I always tell them, give it another year, maybe two. Uh, t- take a short term. If you can get a, a short one- or two-year stint and, and just to keep it going, uh, you might get over that hump of, whether or not you want to go or stay, and then get to a defined decision, even if that decision later is, okay, yeah, I do want to get out. Well, now you got two more years of service. Right. And now with the blended retirement system, if you can get to your 10 to 12-year mark, you're actually going to be better off financially in retirement than you would, would have a couple of years ago on the old retirement system. So having folks staying in is always better. And uh, a lot of times uh, it's during those retention interviews that you find out whether or not someone was truly mentored early. And uh, some of those folks come to that point because they realize, well, I've, 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 I'm at the end of my, 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 uh, my road has ended here. I've got no upper progression in this current position. I said, well, have you tried going to a different position? Have you tried doing something different? Um, I you was know, just talking to you earlier. You, know, you were in different, whole different service at one point. Oh, yeah. So uh, it, a lot of folks don't really understand that you can go from one job to another in the same wing or even the same group and do a different job, and uh, and that, that usually opens a door to somebody to say, "Whoa, oh, I didn't know I could do that, and that's really what I've been interested in because you know for three years I've been watching that person. I love that job, so that's a great way to, to keep people in, so open that door to, hey, w- what else is out here that we can keep you going?
0: That's what we hear about public affairs. People are like, I didn't know this job existed, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know it existed either until a friend of mine told me about it, and I joined the Army again as public affairs, but, yeah, I just had a uh, – an airman in here today goes, oh, I love cameras. I'm like, <laughs> you know, yep. when your time comes, maybe it's a good thing to come and uh, sign up for uh, maybe re-up, uh, re-up for public affairs. You talked about uh, mentorship in that, and that how important it is to uh, keeping people in the Guard. How can you as a commander, uh, what else can you do as a commander to cultivate mentorship in the wing? And Once again, going back to growing the leaders is uh, I, I can –
2: educate the ones that work directly for me. I can educate the squadron commanders. I can educate a lot of different folks on what's out there, what's available. But if I'm the only one doing that, that's not enough. I have to have every single person being mentored by those that they work for and work with. And the folks who have been around a while. There are certain folks who've been around a long, long time and uh, have a lot of education, a lot of skills, a lot of experience in what the Guard can provide, both professionally and personally. And making sure that that's shared with everybody and that that mentorship is there. Um, So the diversity piece I mentioned is uh, that regardless of who you are, that you'll have that same path available to the person that works for you in the same office. Mm -hmm. That uh, you're all provided the same opportunities, you're all provided the the same uh, um, skills so that you can all learn the same things. But ultimately, some people will rise to the top and other people will develop different speeds. Mm -hmm. Some people will rise to the top later. Uh, Some people are very quick to accelerate and learn something and, and, and progress. And then they maybe plateau for a little while, other people a little bit more of a constant progression, maybe a little slower, but constant over a whole career. Uh, but being able to play each and every single person's individual skill sets to the timing that's appropriate for them without pushing them too hard. Some people, you know, you got to be careful, right? You can't You can't bring someone in and expect them to be doing tech sergeant work in the first three years, but at the same time, You can't have a tech sergeant doing the same work for 10 years 12 years you got to make sure that they're grown as well uh, and moved around and and given some different opportunities so they can grow Uh, so um, that having that constant conversation that constant involvement and that direct communication with individual members and as a as a wing commander i can't do that with every single airman day to day but i know my ncos can i know the ncos that are working with the airmen can do that and i know the company grade officers can do that with the lieutenants you know and the field grade officers can do that with the cgos and and so forth and and making sure that uh we really encourage growth and uh, and education and experience and and development
0: and you're doing you're encouraging that growth through a new program that you're starting
2: yes uh back about uh, six seven years ago i kind of came up with something when i was in the ig world and uh I, uh, I handed off to Major Huskel and uh, Major Lubick at the time, and I say, hey, "You guys can take this." Uh, I was in the IG, and they were they were commanders uh, or about to be commanders at the time, and if it was more effective for them in the command section, commanders to, to be able to do that. And it's really just a it's a it's a mentorship program for the wing. Uh, it's not focused specifically on any grade or any position or uh, any group at all. It's it's all about uh, leadership development. Because we focus a lot on skills and uh, and being able to, you know, turn the wrenches and being able to fly the airplanes and being able to, you know, push the papers and all all those technical skills that are vital to being able to run an organization. But it's that art of leadership that's tough. It's that art of leadership that is very difficult to train someone. And sometimes it's ingrained. Sometimes it's just natural for people. And other folks, you need to kind of train that a little bit. Give them that exposure where they can see it in action. They can learn it and uh, and practice it. So this program is going to give you uh, really airmen and officers the opportunity to interact, get to know what else is out there in the wing, get to know different people in the wing. Uh, I'm going to be able to have commanders share their experiences with younger folks so that they know what it takes to be a commander so that those folks can bubble to the top and go, yeah, that's something I'm interested in. How do I get there? How do I do that? And what, what is, what's it going to take? Because um, there's a lot of folks who want to be a commander. Sure. But as soon as you start telling them what it takes to be a commander, they go, hmm, well, maybe, maybe not. What, what does it take to be the deputy commander? Or, uh, <laughs> or, or maybe even it's, uh, yeah, wing commander, that's great. But no, I want to be a general officer. What does it take to be that? I want to be a general you know, I want to be the adjutant general. What does it take to do that? And I'll, and, and we can share that. And that's, uh, so from a mentorship standpoint, uh, this program is ideally, it's, it's, it's ideally focused on um, opening the aperture to everyone to, to, to get exposure out there. And, you know, a lot of my, you know, NCOs, senior NCOs and my, some of my uh, field grade officers are going to have the opportunity to get in front of groups and talk, which is not hey. something they normally do. Love that. Right? Um, and, And from a leadership perspective, I get to see some of my younger leaders, both enlisted and officer, getting out there in the field, getting out there, getting outside their comfort zone and learning and growing. Because that's really the only time you learn, right? You're you're an athlete, you know. Mm -hmm. The only time to get better is to expand that envelope a little bit and kind of do something uncomfortable. (laughs) Right? Been doing that for the past 10 days. Yeah, so as soon as you get a little uncomfortable, you grow a little bit, you get a little better, and then, uh, you know, the the, the stuff inside your envelope gets much
0: easier. Uh, What's this program going to look like? Is it – Classes? Is it, how is this, how is this going to unfold? I'm kind of leaving that to
2: the, I, I'm really just the, the champion of, it. I got, I've got the bones of it. Okay. And I really want the folks that are going to be in that organization, that group, that, that, that team, if you will, that, and it's really, there, there's no requirements. There's no, you know, um, minimum requirements to be in part of it. There's no uh, maximum benefit. There, it's one of those things. It's, uh, it's not like a, a CGO or an NCO or a top five or a top three or anything else. It's it's uh, anybody can be part of it, and it's – it's uh, think of it as like a Toastmasters International, okay. right? So if you think of Toastmasters International, their whole idea is to help you become a better speaker and right. become more comfortable with interactions and those kind of things, and, and to teach leadership. So if you think of it that way, that's, uh, that's how it's going to be set up. Uh, so there's going to be some guest speakers. I'm going to have uh, – my intent is to have some outside uh, leaders, if you will, some uh, – uh, public uh, personnel come in to talk about leadership experience, talk about leadership, development, talk about skill sets, talk about, uh, you know, th- those folks that are on podcasts, those folks that are d- those doing those things that you listen to or you see on social media or you see on podcasts or whatever that go, wow, that, I really liked what that person said about this subject. Well, let's bring them in, uh, talk to our, you know, our, our core folks in a, in a program and anybody can come in and then they can share thoughts and experiences and then ultimately I want to be able to tap into that and get feedback for me and my teams. Like, how are we doing?
0: Oh, that's are, are, good.
2: Are, are we doing what we need to do to give you folks the tools you need to grow so that when we all step away, meaning me and the more senior folks of the wing, <laughs> as we step away, that they're all prepared to step into those roles and keep this machine rolling uh, the way
0: it is. So you talk about these, uh, these mentorship classes, uh, these opportunities. Are these going to be during uh, – uh, UTA drill Mm weekends. Yeah, mostly, mostly we'll, we'll, and we're going to tap in with the 375th as
2: well. Okay. With the installation, since they have stuff throughout the year and throughout the, you know, on and off weekends, uh, we're going to try to tap into some of those as well. Uh, because there's so much capacity here to learn. Uh, and what I want to avoid is those folks. And, and even I had some of it later, you know, luckily for me, I had folks like general Nizamas, you know, he was one of those, uh, mentors early on that I didn't even know what a mentor was. But when, until, until I realized it, I realized what he was doing was, you know, hey, you know, Captain Jackson at the time, I, I want you to, what do you want to do? And I said, well, oh, sir, I want to be an instructor pilot. Okay, I can make that happen, but I want you to be my chief of air crew scheduling. And I said, okay, I have no idea what it takes to do that, but uh, okay, <laughs> you know. So what he was doing was he was giving me those opportunities to learn, um, but it wasn't until later that I realized that th- there were some other people who didn't get those opportunities. There were other people who maybe were given that question, but they were like, nah, I don't want to do that. Uh, and then later in life, they were told, well, you know, remember, remember before you said you didn't want to do that, and that's what we really needed at the time. Um, so not to say that you, can, you can't say no to a job. What I'm saying is sure. there are some times that we don't offer enough opportunities to people to explore and to grow. So I want to make sure that you know, th- there can only be one commander in a unit. Right? There can only be one chief in that unit. There can only be you know uh, a couple of senior seniors. The, the, the space at the top is limited of however you want to define the top. But everybody has the same opportunity to be there. So we got to be careful on how we, where we place people and how we place people and, and that can, so it makes sense at the time. Uh, but ultimately that even the most senior people we put in positions have the opportunity to advance or go sideways to do something different. To, to expand their abilities um, and making sure everyone has that ability. And some people are perfectly happy doing the job they're doing for a long time. And that very makes them happy, they enjoy it, and they're very comfortable with that, and that is perfectly fine. Uh, in the ops world we always said uh, I, I, being an aircraft commander in a KC-135 is an excellent thing to do, and if you want to do that your whole career, that's perfectly fine. Then as every younger person than you comes up and be your commander, I just need you to support that person, and that's okay.
0: Right, so, yeah, that's uh, that's great advice. <laughs> you just got to, Yep, I've been in those positions where you see somebody. Uh, well, yeah. let Anyways, um, I think we all have, right? I mean, we we've, we've oh, all sure. seen people move up and do things that
2: make you scratch your head and go, "What?" I don't, you know. But maybe there was something you just didn't know, right? Um, and that, that's also a lot of things that. But but this mentorship program, uh, this is going to give. I was I call it uh, peaks behind the curtain. Okay. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, you know, they think that I'm this uh, Oz, the great... Oh, you know, b- sure. ...behind a curtain, pulling a bunch of levers and stuff. Right. It's, no, it, it, there's nothing uh, unusual or different that I do now than I did as an aircraft commander my, and my first time running a crew, you know, over to Europe. Right. And uh, it's just you, you, you have a mission to do, and you execute that mission with the tools you have. It just so happens that my mission's significantly different and a different set of tools. So you just got to learn those set of tools. Whether, if I give people those peeks behind the curtain on, well, here's why this decision is being made, or here's a program we're working on, or a, a, a problem set we've been presented, what, how do you guys think we should fill that? Because if I can get that input from my NCOs and my company grade officers, I can go, wow, that, that's some really, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a great input. Um, but if it's an, an idea that wouldn't work to begin with, I can tell them why. Now that field grade officer knows, as a field grade officer, why a certain process or procedure is done the way it is, rather than having to wait to get into a command position and then say, I want to do this. Well, if he knew that, well, five years ago, I learned that that doesn't work, and here's why. Okay, great. You know, because, you know, we have rules, we have AFIs, we have things that that tell us how to do things, and there are a lot of times that... uh, It's like picking your battles, right? If you Mm -hmm. want to win the war, you got to pick your battles. And uh, sometimes you got to fight really hard for some things. And because you know, it's right, you know, it's legal, you know, it's appropriate. And there's other times where you go, we're not going to win this one. So how can we, how can we manage this problem set in such a way that we we know we're going to have to go down this road, but how can we manage this problem set in such a way that is least impactful for our people? And by getting that input from those NCOs and company-grade officers, I get. A, I think I would hope I would get a an unvarnished feedback from the field right away and I can make a better decision at my level.
0: Speaking of making better decisions and getting feedback, your climate survey, you're asking people yes. to sign up. Have you, can you see the results now or you can't see the results until no, the, the end? No,
2: the DX climate survey, uh, once again, that would have come out probably April, May of last year. Uh, obviously, you know there was a, <laughs> there was a few things going on. Yeah, just but, a few. Uh, uh so that is out now. Okay. So it, I think it's available through February UTA, I believe. Yes. I guess it was extended a little bit because we started a little late. So, um, and you can do that via. It's a really quick uh, thing through. You can do it. I did it on my phone. So uh, oh wow, on my cell phone. So you, it's super easy to do. It only takes. You can yeah. do. It, you can do it yourself. Um, I think I did. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. Hey.
2: I guess we know who the high marks came from. <laughs> well, I got to balance all the low ones, right? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but um, um, it was either that one. I've done. I, I, I get more more requests for surveys than I like really? to deal with. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, I do. I probably get one every time I go to the uh, to the military doctor. I get one and uh, you know, survey on this, survey on that. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's my position or what, but I get a bunch of them. Hmm. But um, but I'm told that this uh, our DX survey, uh, which is Uh, the commissary that's open is it's a different system than it was before it's changed Uh, the questions are quite a bit different Uh, so they're not I think they fixed a lot of the uh, concerns that they had in the past so it's still completely anonymous but that's a great tool for us to at least get a a generic snapshot of what the general climate is uh, as far as attitudes and things like that in the wing uh, and that obviously isn't the standard, you know, it's about diversity, about inclusion, about uh, performance, about all kinds of things. So we uh, really need a lot of folks to participate in that so we can get the best numbers we can. And then uh, my technique has always been whenever I see one of those is I, I look at the results, I boil it down to, okay, what's actionable? What can I really do about it? Uh, and then I get with my senior leaders. And uh, once again, I'll, I'll probably get with this group, this the mentorship group, mm. and, and say, okay, hey, that, here are the big ticket items. Here's what was said bad about me. Here's what was said good about me or the wing or our the leaders, whatever. And um, but what's actionable? What can we do about it? And get that back out there because what I really want is I want that individual airman out there or officer who um, anonymously commented or made, made comments or remarks in a, in a survey that, that's being answered. And I'm not going to go back and say, well, look, from uh, Sergeant Ellison, I have a comment on blah, blah, blah. What I want to be able to do is Publicly, you know, uh, make people aware that a specific issue, for example, is being taken care of and addressed. That way, those people who made comments on it can sit back and go, "Good." Now, that survey I said that in looks like it's being handled, and that's the that's the big ticket on on those things. It's not we're never really looking. I'm never ever looking to highlight any specific person or unit or anything else. But yeah, the climate survey is out there, and the, the sooner we do it, now. I'm not sure if the UEI survey is still open, and that's the one I just did was the UEI survey, but <clears throat> the UEI survey is out there as well. There's two of them. Which one's that? I don't know. So okay. there's a unit effectiveness inspection in July. Okay. So in the in the past, what's always happened is the AMC inspector general sends out a, a generic email to everyone in the wing on the UEI, on the unit effectiveness inspection. What that is, is that's related to the four major graded areas of a unit of effectiveness inspection. And um, – it's a little bit longer than the climate survey, but not not terribly long. And it, once again, that's another one that's easily done on your cell phone, and it's done officer and enlisted. That's it. It's not broken down by rank. It's even though it asks about different rank. Sure. Make sure if anybody's doing it, make sure you read the directions. It's it's uh, if you're an officer, you're O one to O three, I think it is, and if you're enlisted, you're E one to E six, I think. E one to E six or something. Yeah, something. Either way, like it, what it does is it's it. They're not looking to find out if you know a female chief from LRS. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for enlisted and officer comments. Okay. So the, the climate survey is a little different in the DX in that way, but uh, that's out there as well. So if they can get both of those done. That, so that the UEI survey is what the AMC IG team will use to get what they call a heat map. In other words, uh, hmm. what are the big ticket items? That, what, where are the most of the people seeing? Uh, you know, is there a positive thing going here? or a negative thing here, or is it neutral all the way across, or what, what What are they really looking at? So they get that survey information, then they come to the to the wing, and then they talk to individual people and say, you know, and try to, try to validate those findings. And uh, that helps me from an outside perspective, rather than just a DEAC survey of everybody in the wing. The climate, the uh, UEI survey, actually is what the outside folks are going to get to come in and, Yep, everyone says that your PA, system, your shop is awesome, and we checked them out. And sure enough, you guys are right. They got the best one in the Air National Guard. And I said, I knew that. Yeah, so. I
0: appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, right now, are you seeing, are there any concerns that you're seeing uh, throughout the wing? I mean, that just, I don't know, that need to maybe changed, fixed. I don't know, what you know, any concerns on the enlisted side or officer side that, uh, that, need, that you, you think needs to be addressed right now? before the DOC survey?
2: And one of the things we're always working on, especially in the last 10 months, has been uh, uh, airmen's time and uh, funding. So it, we know that, you know, the, uh, an Air National Guard income is not huge for most traditionals, right? It's, you come in on a weekend, you don't get a ton of money on the weekend, but it's, there, there's a lot more to it than just the money. But because of the sometimes canceled drills, sometimes the movement of drills, and we've been pushing a lot of training off sometimes a full week or a month, you know, it, we're really going to have to start stressing the airman's time on a drill weekend more than we would uh, normally. So normally in a two-day period when we've got two eight-hour days that we can really work with an airman or our members once a month, we're actually having to use split UTAs. So we're doing two UTAs a month essentially now for the next few months. And simply it's because we – we have lost so much time in 2020. We still have a lot of things to catch up on that we have a lot of things to do. So airman's time is important. I want to make sure that when someone comes, they don't feel like they've just been worn out for two days and just constant run, 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 run. We want to make sure that they still feel good about being here and coming into work. And not only from a work environment perspective or perspective, but from a COVID prevention's perspective, I want want to make sure people understand it's safe to come to work. We're doing all the protocols. We're doing all the safety stuff. So it's okay to come here, do your thing, and oh, by the end of that, you're, you're going to feel like you actually did something, and you're going to come out of it with a couple extra bucks in your pocket. But uh, then the whole wing is going to be better off as a whole as we perform our mission sets moving forward. So that's one big thing, and then uh, the budgets are the other one. Uh, last year, the federal budget was just blown out, of, just blown up because of the COVID thing, and it, it, it's just the way it is. It's going to affect our budgeting over the next, you know, several cycles. Uh, we have a new administration coming in, so who knows what's going to happen with that. Uh, and so all those kind of things take a lot of, uh, pressure on us, um, at the budget level to go, okay, wh- what are we getting and how's it going to affect the airmen? Uh, if I'm going to get less flying hours, uh, that's a huge impact for us across the board because flying hours drive a lot of our operations, mm-hmm. um, certainly from the flying operations, but the, the money associated with those flying hours is really kind of the core of that budget. Uh, and then, uh, and then with the number of travel and deployments and those kind of things, luckily the deployment numbers are starting to come down significantly for the wing, which is good. We're coming out of our RCP here in a few months. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to getting everybody back. Uh, we uh, brought all of our ops and maintenance back in early December out of the, uh, the CENTCOM area of responsibility. And now we're going to the PACOM area for, uh, in uh, March, April, but uh, we still have a bunch of folks in CENTCOM, uh, PACOM and AFRICOM, um, Sorry, Southcom and AfricaCom for for a few more months, but they should be start coming home uh, end of end of this month, I believe. Early next month, we have our folks start coming home, and within about two three months, we'll have everybody back. And so once we get everybody whole, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so this summer should be uh, should be fun. I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, sir. I think I'm going to let you go. I think we've uh, holy cow, we've uh, <laughs> we've taken up an, a lot of your time, but I appreciate you coming by and talking to us. Anything else you think? You, uh, anything else you'd like to add?
2: Um, That was uh, from a public affairs standpoint. I I was talking to the vice wing commander the other day and talked about our uh, our history and our future and that kind of thing. And uh, we just realized that, uh, I mean, I knew it was coming, but we laid out. So the wing, uh, the 126th, has been around uh, since 1927. Wow. So so we've been around a long time. But the uh, air refueling wing has only been around since 1950. So we started refueling in 1950 with the KC-97s. So um, 2022 is our 75th anniversary of the 126th Air Refueling Wing, um, right? 2022? No, 2022 is our 25th anniversary, 75th anniversary of the 126th Air of Operation, so 75th anniversary.
0: Wait, we, 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 oh, we started refueling in 70? No, we started 50. refueling in
2: 1950. We were a bomb, we we're observation and uh, bomb squadrons, uh, uh, bombing units before that. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we are were, we are ob- we observation. You're asking me glider. to do math right now. Oh, sir. All kinds of stuff. So we we've got multiple. So 22, 25, and 27. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's essentially uh, uh, our 95th anniversary, our 75th anniversary as a wing, and then our 100th anniversary is in 19 is 2027. 100th anniversary as a wing. Wow. So 375th just had theirs in 2017, uh, but uh, that was actually the 108th Air Refueling Squadron has a some history back to World War. 1917, the 108th. Uh, back oh, really? In, yeah, back in World War One, but um, the the historians have it back to nineteen twenty seven. But uh, for an observation squadron, it's when we started. But uh, our wing of a hundred year anniversary coming up in twenty twenty seven. So maybe I should say that right. Someone wants to get out in twenty five. It's like, well, why don't you stand for two yeah. more years for the hundredth? Yeah, you know,
0: we're the oldest air refueling wing in the in the Air National Guard. I, all right, I got to ask you one more thing. Okay, what what was it like, or what? Yeah, I guess I guess the only way to ask is, what was it like in in two thousand on September eleventh, two thousand one? What what was your mission that day? Uh,
2: that particular day, I was in the simulator here on here on campus. Uh, I was doing uh, the first period, so between uh, seven and nine a.m., I was in the in briefings, uh, kind of getting ready to um, step into the simulator itself. So we were on a break from about eight forty-five to nine o'clock, and uh, we were getting ready to go in the simulator box and. We were watching the news and we're like, "What the heck is going on here?" And things had just started happening. First tower had gotten hit, mm-hmm. and it was it was one of those sobering moments that, um, as military members, you know, the call's coming. Um, yeah, I kind of looked around at my folks uh, that we were with and looked at the sim instructor, and I said, "I think we're done for the day." Uh, so we walked back over to the ops building, and and sure enough, uh, I kind of worked with. The, I was in scheduling at the time, and they said, "Hey, let's uh, let's." let's start making crews because we knew the call was coming and we started calling people at home. We started getting in touch with every single, we did a a recall immediately and it was one of those instantaneous from the wing level. I mean, across the board, the entire wing had this instantaneous, uh, taking a step toward war. It, It was no different than when we got the call in 2011, I think it was where we all went to, uh, um, Maroon, Spain, and got called out for uh, that operation. It was, you know, a call came from above to the wing commander, and the wing commander said, Roger, we're on it. See you there in 72 hours. And no kidding. Um, so within an hour, I was sent home to, to, to pack up and get in a crew rest. And then an hour later, I was called to come back to crew rest on base because they realized the restrictions were going into place. It took me two hours to get back on base. Wow. I, was, I spent about three or four days uh, living on base and flying alert missions around the world, around the country and uh, it was a it was a quiet time there was uh, if you if you thought march April, may was quiet when you look up in the skies and you didn't see airliners flying mm-hmm. and that kind of thing um, it was even quieter then uh, wow. I, remember, I remember on the September twelfth doing a um, an airborne mission over Chicago O'Hare at the time and and looking down clear million a beautiful day to fly and it was nobody out there and it was about twenty two thousand feet over chicago and refueling F-16s from Springfield, who had F-16s at the time, and, uh, and Madison, Wisconsin. But hundreds of airplanes parked on runways and taxiways and ramps at O'Hare, and it was complete silence on the radios. Nobody talking, because nobody was out there. Sure, we yeah, that We were the makes only sense. ones. And it was uh, uh, shortly thereafter, things kind of started kind of shifting back toward, a little more toward normal in the U.S. Right. But then we came home realizing that, okay, now our focus is going to shift right to... The war.
0: Were you were you in the air on September 11th?
2: I was not. I was uh, like I, said, I was in the si- getting ready to go in the simulator. But we had uh, being that early in the morning, we were getting ready to launch some airplanes for local flying that day. But mm-hmm. uh, we didn't have anybody um, gone. I think if I remember correctly, I think we had uh, two airplanes and some crews in Gallenkirk in Germany, oh, wow. uh, doing their mission out there, and they were they were all grounded. And it took them about a week, an extra week, to get home uh, because of the their traffic and restrictions and all that other kind of thing. But so they they delayed a little bit but they finally got all back and then uh and we have uh the 126 has supported every named operation in that AOR since then.
0: That was part two of our conversation with the 126th Air Refueling Wing Commander Colonel Tom Jackson. I'll have part 3 of my conversation coming up with uh, Colonel Jackson in a couple of weeks. We'll hear uh about his personal life and why he joined the wing and we'll hear why airline pilots wear clip-ons clip-on ties
3: with your look around the air force i'm senior man Rosadio. the skyborg vanguard program will provide autonomous or unmanned aircraft that can augment fighter missions or take on missions too dangerous for manned crews Air Force Doctrine states humans will always remain responsible for lethal decision making, but SkyBorg will provide key data to pilots and decision makers for greater situational awareness and survivability during combat missions. The Air Force Life Cycle Management Center is partnering with the Air Force Research Lab. Contracts were awarded to four aerospace companies to support the SkyBorg project. The contracts give companies a chance to compete for a possible $400 million in delivery orders. A new Air Force program called Direct-to-Duty Technical Training, or D2T2, sends airmen straight from basic training directly to their duty station for training. It's designed to train airmen faster and more efficiently without risking their health by traveling to additional bases for tech school. Tech school instructors will grade and track progress remotely, regardless of where the airman's initial assignment is after basic training. Going straight to their first duty location eliminates the need for traditional technical training and also saves money for the Air Force. Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunter air crews from the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron at Keesler Air Force Base, Mississippi, flew five weather reconnaissance missions into Hurricane Douglas, the season's first major storm in the Pacific. During a tropical storm or hurricane, hunters fly through the eye of the storm at 10,000 feet and collect information on temperature, wind speeds, and other critical data not available from satellites. The storm data helps forecasters give the best updates and warnings possible. The Hurricane Hunter unit from the 53rd is the one Department of Defense organization still flying into storms, a mission that started in 1944. And that's your look around the Air Force. MilTax from
0: Military OneSource includes free, easy-to-use tax preparation and e-filing software designed for situations common to service members and their families. The suite of services include MilTax consultants who can answer your questions and advise you on military-specific tax requirements. You can find all of our links to our webpage and Facebook at linktr.ee forward slash one two six a r w if you're watching on facebook you can also download this on your favorite podcast app if you want to pass along some information you can email roll call at one two six dot a r w dot p a dot mm dot o r g at u s dot a f dot mil it's the email address that never stops Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison.